when I was going through all the all the treatment, he felt like he couldn't do anything for me. Like he felt helpless in a sense. And I think this is his way of of showing that he's helping, you know, that he's doing something. And I think it's important for him. And I, I see it and it means the world to me. From Haymakers for Hope, this is not every fight ends at the bell. Haymakers for Hope exists to knock out cancer the only way we know how. Fighting for a cure through charity boxing. Thanks to generous supporters and more than 1,000 ass-kicking do-gooders, Haymakers has raised over $22 million for cancer research, care, awareness, and survivorship. But the March Towards a Cure continues long after the last bell of each event. I'm Julie Kelly. I'm Todd Buster Paris. We know firsthand because we are not just your hosts, we are also survivors. On this podcast, we will highlight the stories of fighters, survivors, organizations, and supporters. Not every fight ends at the bell. Round one. This week's episode is different from the rest. Not only do we speak with an ass-kicking do-gooder, Steve Vaccaro, but we're joined by the person he is fighting for, his wife, Meg. We're going to have just two rounds since Steve's bout is this week, May 11th, at the MGM Music Hall at Fenway in Boston. But I promise you, they are two powerful rounds. Steve, Meg, welcome to the show. We're glad to have both of you here. Thanks for having us. First off, holy cow. Like, Steve, I read your write-up on your fighter page. And, oh, my God, what a story. Julie and I have been, like, texting each other back and forth just about how amazing your story is. We are really glad to have both of you here. This is our first time having two people here, so this is really exciting. To give you a quick rundown, things are going to be a little bit different today. So normally we do our three rounds, boxing, connection to the cause, after the bell. With your story, we're going to talk a little bit more about, Julie and I are both love the story about how you guys met. So we'd like to hear some more about that, more about your story, which is your connection to the cause. Then we'll get into boxing and some other things. Steve, we'll, we'll start with you. Just how did you and Meg meet? As you could probably see from my post, it is extremely long, but I will give you the shortest version I can. And as promised, Julie, I will be extra heavy on my accent because <laughs> I do not know how to turn it off. And when I try to turn it off, it just gets worse anyways. <sighs> so I was going to a concert, a Toby Keith concert down at the Xfinity Center. And I had saw on Facebook that one of my friends that I had worked with before was going to be there too. So I had reached, I was like, oh, I haven't seen you since I left. Like, I'll definitely find you. Let me know. We'll find you in the tailgate. And, uh, you know, it'll be great to see you again. So that friend happened to be Megan's best friend. So I went and met them. I left my group of friends when I was there tailgating. I found them and we hit it off in the parking lot, just talking and the rest is history. Yeah. I mean, it was, I guess it wasn't like, you know, a straightforward road from there. To, it was kind of like I was in a, a transitional period of my life too, you know, going through a divorce. So I wasn't really like ready to commit, but, you know, he persisted. So, you know, I couldn't really 
pass them up. So, <laughs> thankfully. See, now, see now, I, now I have to tell this part of the story. And she's no, so no, you don't have to. No, no, he, he has to because <laughs> it's making you so uncomfortable. I have to. I want to hear it. I mean, it was in this. It was so, in his his little his little write up, and I was like, take it out. Oh my god, it always <laughs> has to come up. But okay, fine, tell it. So I was I get down to this concert and I start till again like two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. They came in later. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. They, you don't so, have to anyway. go on. Just yeah. They so, get it. They know how the tailgating goes. Go ahead. All yeah. right, all right, all right. So I had a, after I had to go back to with my group of friends. I had to get my tickets and stuff, and I was like, Yeah, I'll find you guys inside, you know. Not kind of half heartedly no thinking that it would even actually happen. Cause I was like, I walked in and it was pitch black and I was like all right, my I think my phone had died. I was like, "There's no way I'm gonna find these girls again." I just don't think it's gonna happen. But I had to pee really bad, so I'm waiting in line in the bathroom. And even the men's room was like the line for the men's room was ridiculously long. So I'm like, "Oh God!" I was like, "I don't think I can wait." So there was I see people like walking in and out behind this like concession stand that wasn't. Dude, being before used. you go, just so you know, and just so, so our listeners know, Meg right now is rolling her eyes. Watching Snoop, yeah. we can all see each other. Meg is rolling her eyes, yeah. watching her husband talk about a story where he's about to. I, I'm assuming you're about to publicly urinate. Okay. Yes. So, oh, yeah. just just for the yeah. for the for the listeners need to see. You can't see Meg's face; it's priceless. He told the story at our wedding too, like in front of my family. That like is this a story, fantastic is... wedding story. Yeah. Well. So anyway, so I had, so I, I hop out of line. I walk behind this concession stand that's not being, that's not being used. And lo and behold, who's there? Pants down, peeing already. Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. So I guess that was okay. Fate. So now that I understand why Matt yeah. didn't want the story being told. This will yeah. absolutely, of course, stay in the podcast. We will not edit this part out. <laughs> Yeah, right. 100%. I, I love you. I'm not someone that believes in like this love. It's meant to be. Julie, it's meant Julie to be did you say that to you? When that happened, <laughs> oh, meant to be. Yeah, meant to be. I was like, somebody's, I, I knew immediately, somebody's like, somebody up there is like, you got to give this a shot. <laughs> Stars aligned. Yeah, 100%. I know. That's right. yeah. I do have to say, the romantic in me, I do understand that. That does make a, I, I oh, really, okay. I've got to say, I really <laughs> do understand that. That is, there's, that is something romantic. I think that's really neat. Let's move on now to, let me just let our listeners know too, things will start to get a little bit heavier now. So Meg, fall of 2020, you were, you're not, you're not feeling well. Your, your energy levels are low, which is very unlike you. And so you decided, yeah. you know what? I should, I should go see a doctor. Okay. Yeah. So like it started in the summer, actually, I was like not feeling great. I had like random, like just eight, like joint pain. I was like really tired all the time. I was just, and I was, you know, normally like a really active person, you know, like exercised a lot, just always on the go, never really, I never felt slowed down by much, but then I went from that to being just like feeling totally the opposite, you know, like needing to nap, needing to like lay down. I had like, a I all of a sudden got tennis elbow. I got like arthritis in, in, a, in my thumb. I had really bad pain in one of my calves. So like all these things were happening at mm. once. So I went to my doctor, they did blood work and my white blood cell count was like really, really low. And so she's like, I don't know what that's all about. So she then referred me to a hematologist who did like all the tests, all the things to 
they were thinking something autoimmune mm-hmm. originally because it just kind of pointed in that in that direction, like possibly lupus, possibly Lyme, um, you know, because it just looked that. But everything was came back normal as far as that stuff. Um, and then you know the one of the tests that and but everything when I, I was going for blood work like every week, um, and this was at um, Brigham Dana Farber in Weymouth. Um, the hematologist was out of there. And, um, so every time I went, my neutrophil white blood cell neutrophil count was very low and my lymphocyte count was high. And so that is like a marker that they look at for like leukemia, lymphoma. And so, but he was really not convinced that that was, that was the case. I just didn't look like the other things didn't look like a, like a leukemia type of cancer except for this one type of leukemia, mm. um, this LGL leukemia. But he was like, you know, that's typically in older people, you know, you don't really fit that type right. of, you know, like, I don't really, I don't see it. And so he's like, but we're going to have to do this type of genetic testing to to see, you know, if you fall, if it comes back positive, then I guess we're going to have to like send you in town and see what they think. So they sent my blood work out for this, like, high-tech genetic testing it took like two weeks to come back and he called me one night it was like right before thanksgiving i think or early november and um he's like you wouldn't believe it but it came back positive for this you know this one gene that could that has the high likeliness of being this lgl leukemia it wasn't a pause like a, a complete positive but it was like very likely that i had it and i was like what so, and I really didn't know much about it. I was like kind of convincing myself there's no way because he was thinking there's really, I don't think it's going to come back that way. So that was like, an, that was an initial kind of like, oh my God, like what? But then he like kind of assured me like, if it is, it's not like a leukemia that you need like acute treatment. You're not going to be like thrown into like some sort of very like a chemo type of treatment right, right off the bat. It's one of those things that you can live with but you're going to have to be monitored. But then again, we don't know. So, you know, I'm going to have to send you into Boston. Right. So, that, so that, that was kind of... That's got to be, you know, one, to, first of all, you hear the word cancer. That alone, it's like, hold yeah. on a second. Then, you, then you're then you getting told, well, yeah, it's cancer. It's the kind that you'll just live with. And, you know, but it, it's like, that's yes. got to be incredibly like, what the, you know, what are you talking about? Yes. Right. And then like you start Googling, yeah. you know, and I'm like, uh, like, you know, that's can be a nightmare oh in and of God. itself because yes, you get all these yeah. answers. Yeah. <laughs> and they say stay away from Google, but no, of course, of course, <laughs> you know. And then also it was yeah. 2020. We had, we're, we were not even out of right. the with COVID yep. yet. So I was going to these appointments by myself, you know, it was terrible. So that was like a lot to digest. I remember like going back down to the dinner table and like it happened to be like a Sunday and we were all sitting down eating. I'm like, we never do this. And of course now we do. And I had to go downstairs and like be normal, even though I didn't feel normal at all. I was like so confused. And um, yeah, so that was the beginning of the nightmare. nightmare. (laughs) I I know when I was diagnosed and when when it was, it's it's incredibly confusing because you don't know how to, how to kind of live now. Like, do you, yeah. do you take these precious moments with the fam, you know, and, and like embrace those kind of things, even though that's for me, at least for me, it's not, that's not natural. I'm not a natural kind of embracing of family moments. 
or, and then thinking that like, this could be it. Like I could be dying in X amount of days, weeks, months. Like this is it. Like, does that, did that change sort of your day to day? Um, it, I, what for me, I was like constantly thinking, oh my God, I'm, I'm definitely not going to live a long life. I'm not going to live. Like I'm probably going to die way sooner than I should. Then I, I'm going to not going to live as long as I should be. I'm probably not going to be here for weddings of some of my Mm. kids. I'm not like, I automatically thought of the time that I'm not going to have. And then I was just like in shock about it all. Like I couldn't, I couldn't digest it all. Like I just was like thinking all the negative. I couldn't even embrace the positive at all. Like think like, Oh my God, I got to take advantage of these moments. Cause I was just stuck in like this, Oh my God, I'm, I'm not going to be here for till I'm 80, 90 right. years old. Yeah. You know, like I, that's all I can uh, think about, yeah. you know? And Steve during this. So I don't know if you, were you aware of, obviously you're aware of the, the treatment and what was going on. Are you aware of how Meg's feeling about it? And how are you feeling about that you now have four kids and, you know, your wife of just five years you, you know, has cancer. Right. I tried very hard to, I mean, this was just the tip of the iceberg. So it, for me, it was like, I mean, I knew how she was feeling to an extent. She doesn't like to talk when she gets, at times, she judges, you know, naturally wants to try to keep every she doesn't she's too tough is her problem she doesn't want to she doesn't she doesn't she likes to try to tackle things on her own but um i was so i tried i and i should say that but i tried to do the same so i just try to stay i just try to stay as positive as possible like you know the doctor said he's not convinced so then it's like I'm going to focus on that externally, but internally, like, I So, and Steve, when you talk about it's this is the tip of the iceberg, what do you mean by that? Well, because, so from that point, so after, after she had met with that hematologist and Dana Fomber and Weymouth, he, and she, that, she got that test result coming back, he decided that he wanted to send her to Dana Fomber in Boston to get to work with the hematology there to get something more conclusive. So I believe she had an appointment scheduled for December. I think it was December 6th. I don't know why that day is sticking out in my head. 2020. So then, okay, we're going to go. Except now, what, like two weeks later, she finds a lump in her left breast. Yeah, and just I think it was like two. Yeah, it was soon after. It was right before yeah. Thanksgiving. Um, it was like a week before Thanksgiving, and that was like yeah, so like two weeks. And I was downstairs with my with my youngest, and it was I was working from home at the time, so I um, was just like waiting to get on the computer, and um, and I was watching TV with him, and I felt it, and I was like is that what I think I feel? And I like called Steven and he was like, what is that? I'm like, Oh my God. So then I automatically thinking like, wait a minute, it was this, is this breast cancer this whole time? Like I was just, my mind was like all over the place. And I'm like, could the other cancer have caused this? Like, I was like 
automatically trying to put two and two together. I, I just, I just automatically thought it's definitely breast cancer and it's definitely, it's definitely related to this other thing. It has to be like, cancer wasn't even on my radar, you know, like six months ago. So these two things have to be related somehow. And the lump has to be cancer. And this, and this was, and this was all prior to receiving any kind of like definitive diagnosis with With the the, the blood work from the hematologist. So what ended up happening was when she found the lump, then immediately she calls our primary care and we ended up going, I think that was a Friday. And on Monday, they got her in for a biopsy at Tufts. So we went in there. A few days later, they came back, they biopsied and they came back and said, yep, this is cancer. So now it was like, oh my God, like we just went from not really knowing to all of a sudden like, okay, this is, well, we know. Cancer. Yeah. Right. And now, you know, one. And again, like Megan said, my logic, like my brain works very logically. So it was like, okay, there's no way you can't just sprout two different cancers, like out of nowhere. So apparently you can because then we call the doctor and he's like, no, this is not related. So it's like, what do you mean it's not related? It's like, yeah, it's probably, it's not related. But so they still like, didn't, they still didn't know if I actually had the LGL either. So right, right. that was like, that was like, well, we, we're not sure, but maybe. And so I had decided at that point, I was like, all right, I need, I made the choice to be followed at Beth Israel for the breast cancer care because I there was a certain surgeon that I wanted um, at Beth Israel. So in that pursuit, I also decided to have my hematology care moved to Beth Israel. So I started with a new hematologist there. Well, that ended up being a nightmare because he was not he was not good at all, and he really like dismissed my whole case, kind wow. of saying like it was like I went backwards. It was like he was like convinced that I didn't have leukemia, that leukemia. So he was trying to like crazy. Oh my god! It would be like they would run her blood, and then it would be like he would get the results. He'd be like, "Oh, your white your white counts had come up a little bit. Still nowhere near normal." But he'd be like, "All right, let's pop champagne." Yeah, it's that's like, what he'd say. Yeah, he'd be like, "You can go home that. and pop some champagne." I'd be like, "What? Right." right. It was terrible. So I was like still all confused about like everything. And then finally I ended up at Dana Farber. Like everything I was like, I can't handle this guy anymore. I need to I need to you know, if we're if we're in Boston and we have Dana Farber across the street, why am I not going right. there where they're yeah. you know, that <laughs> the best hematologists and, you know, leukemia care is right across the street. I gotta I have to move. And I didn't wanna be jumping ship to other hospitals, but I just knew deep down, like, there's no way that I'm going to get the care I need with this guy. <laughs> so this goes into, Meg, something that Steve wrote that, that you had said, which I really, really like. You had said specifically, you said, no one is looking out for you more than you. So I yeah. think, you know, sometimes we like to, for people out there that are listening or that are in a similar situation where you're at your doctor's and your doctor's telling you something that you're just like, I don't think cracking champagne's a really good idea it like keep in mind yeah. that no one is looking out for you uh more than you i think that's a, that's a great message and yeah. I, I i really like that it's a really yeah. great message yeah 
It's true. You know, and you want to believe that the providers that you, you're going to really have your care at the top of their list, like they're really looking out for you and doing the best for you. But you really don't know until your gut is the yeah. thing that's going to tell you if that's true yeah. or not, you know. So you got to follow it. In the beginning of all this, did you or did you not listen to your gut? Like, did you have gut things and then kind of like, well, no, no. And then then you were like, hey, wait a second and then listen to it. I feel like my gut was always telling me like what was going on and I, I was hesitant to listen, but I, I'm pretty good about listening to my, my gut. Like I'm, and my gut tells me usually very strongly what to do. And with this guy, I think I waited too long. I wish I had jumped ship sooner because he was pretty right off the bat. I didn't like him. Like I got a bad feeling and I just waited it out too long. So I just feel like you got to listen to yourself. If something doesn't feel right, don't wait. You know, like there's other, like as soon as I went to Dana-Farber and met with the hematologist there, it was like night and day. I was like, oh my God. Like I left the appointment. I was like, this man is the nicest person I've ever met. And I can't believe I didn't go here first. Like, you know, it was just a whole different experience. And it just showed that like, you know, you can get great care. You don't have to stay with someone that isn't, there to help you so yeah and I, i'm glad that you listened to your yeah your intuition you knew something mm-hmm. was off could you take us through the next step which was you know what what the treatment was for the for breast for the breast cancer yeah so um i did end up having um i had a left breast mastectomy they ended up doing a mri after they did the biopsy and it came back positive they did a um mri because i do have family history, um, of breast cancer. So because of that, they did say, well, let's do the MRI. Thank God. Again, another thing that initially was not going to be on their radar to do, they were kind of like, Oh, I think we can treat this with just, um, a lumpectomy and radiation. And I was like, "Mm, really? Because like, I don't know, how do you know it's not in the other one? You know, how do we know that there's not anything else going on? And so I, again, had to kind of advocate for myself and say like, you know, I do have, there is breast cancer on my mom's side, not, not my mom or sisters or my grandmother, but there is, you know, a second aunt and her daughter. And then my dad's sister also had it. So, and they were like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Let's do an MRI then. But if I didn't kind of push for it, I don't, I'm I'm not convinced that they would have done that, Hmm. but because I had it done, it showed three more tumors in my left breast. So they then changed their whole, the whole plan. And they said like, no, we now have to have the whole breast removed. So that in and of itself was totally devastating. My right breast was fine. So I did make the decision to keep that. I didn't have a double, I had a single. So in January I had the mastectomy. Um, they also did genetic testing to see, um, how aggressive the tumor was to determine whether or not I needed the chemo treatment, or if I could just have kind of like a, the type of breast cancer I had was um, hormone receptor positive. So the um, tumor testing came back at a low level. So I I didn't need chemo, thank God, but I do, I'm on tamoxifen, which is um, a hormone kind of blocking um, medication. So um, I'm on that for five years. So, um, and then they just kind of follow me every six months with either an MRI or a a mammogram to see, to make sure that nothing's going on in the right 
So that's kind of where, where I'm at for that. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, and then I believe I read and I mean, Steve, honestly, I, we see a lot of write-ups and people share their stories. I don't think I've ever seen one where like a participant wears their heart on their sleeve as much as I did in with yours. And I think, you know, Steve touched upon it, even, you know, your road has, has been so incredibly rocky, Meg. And I, I think even in his write-up, he mentions the tamoxifen, which is yeah. supposed to be helping you out, has, you know, has yeah. affected you um, in, in, in another way, throwing yet yeah. another wrench in, in your, your right. journey to recovery. Yeah, it has not been my friend, but... <laughs> And so I ended up like needing a hysterectomy because of the, because of the side effects of the tamoxifen. So that was like not expected, um, and pretty brutal to be honest. But unfortunately there really is no other treatment, um, for my type of cancer to kind of help. If I choose not to take the tamoxifen, there's like a 33% chance that I'd have a recurrence. So, and that's pretty high. So, um, and then it drops it down to like 3% if I continue to take it. So, I mean, there was no other option. So I had to kind of just do what I had to do to, in order to continue to take it for the five years. So it was, I don't know, it's still like, I still have side effects from it and I know people have worse. So I don't know. I just have to be like grateful that I guess there is, there is that drug to take. Um, to get me through. So I don't know. It's just been, it has been hard. How is your health doing now? Um, I mean, I'd say it's, it's good. Like I, you know, it was rocky, obviously after the hysterectomy, that was really hard because I went into surgical menopause at that point. So at that period, which was, um, like close to a year ago, that was a difficult few months. It was June of 2022. Um, and that was a hard, a few months last summer was difficult, but now I do feel like I'm, I'm better. I, I feel like my energy levels are up and, you know, the leukemia is, is kind of at bay. I, I go every six months and I get my blood work done. It, it, my neutrophil count, it, it ranges around seven to 800. A normal, a normal person's neutrophil is the lowest is at 2,500. So mine is still very low and they don't treat, um, the LGL leukemia, um, unless it's at 500. So I have some wiggle room still, but it obviously needs to be monitored. So I don't right there, as far as that goes, I'm just at a watch and wait. But if I do have any sort of infection, I'd have to go to the ER and get, you know, checked out. And, but for, for now, everything is, is definitely better. So that's that's great to hear. Yeah. When we come back for our last round, we'll talk with Steve about his experience with Haymakers for Hope in anticipation for his upcoming fight. Meg shares with us why they chose to support the Breast Cancer Research Fund and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and what Steve's fighting means to her. After listening to this episode, there is still time to donate for Steve. So feel free to check out haymakersforhope.org. You can find Steve Vaccaro and you can donate in his name. Not Every Fight Ends at the Bell is presented by Haymakers for Hope. To donate, sponsor, attend an event, or better yet, to sign up to be one of our ass-kicking do-gooders, visit haymakersforhope.org. Round two. 
Stephen, you know, I I saw you at the halfway sparring point for Haymakers. So I was familiar with how you fought. And after reading your your fighter pitch, I was like, oh my God, I want you to win. Like I usually try not to pick, I try not to pick sides. It's just, you know, it's not cool, but I'm like, oh my God, I want you to win. And so I'm like, who's his trainer? I do I bet too. You do. So I look to see who your trainer is. I see that it's Nick Sear and I know Nick is a great trainer. I'm like, all right, who's he fighting? I'm like John Anderson, wait, Portland Boxing. I'm like, shit. Portland box clubs. That means training with yeah. Liz. Liz is amazing. So you've, you know, you've got a really good fight in your hands. And I remember from the halfway point, you guys are very well matched. So it, it'll be an exciting match to watch. Question for you in this regards is, how did you hear about Haymakers for Hope? Uh, it's interesting enough, Megan's cousin fought last oh, year. Megan, who's your cousin? Joe Byron. Okay. He also trained with Nick. Yeah, so that's kind of how I got hooked up with Nick. And yeah. Julie, when the applications come in, was there anything in there that you were like, oh yeah, this guy? There is an area to share like what your what your motivation is. And if this doesn't drive you to want to have somebody on the card who's who's fighting for his wife, who's been through been through the hardest part, I something I can't even imagine. I mean, it's really it's really a beautiful thing and you can never count somebody out who's going in there out of love. So yeah, I figured it was because of the way I ended, um, where I talked about how I had said to Megan before that it was like watching everything that you've gone through. I think I want to, wow. I would consider running the marathon to raise the money. And then the idea of this came along instead. So I wrote in my application, I said that story and I wrote at the end, please don't make me run the marathon. <laughs> yeah. That's by the way, that is, oh my that, God. that is such a Julie Kelly. <laughs> that's a Julie Kellyism right there. I would rather get yeah. punched in the face than run a marathon. That is, <laughs> that is the Julie Kelly t-shirt. I mean, yeah, I would, I would do pretty much anything for money to, to fundraise, but yeah. However, yeah. however, he, it's not, it's however, not fun. He's come home from a few of these boxing training days and I'm like, you maybe should have trained for the marathon because I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Nick is really beating him down, <laughs> mentally beating him down. <laughs> yeah, Nick likes to tell me that too. Yeah. That's part of Nick's yeah. challenge. Yeah, right. I mean, you're in good hands. Yeah. He has forgotten more about boxing than I've ever known. You're so really, really you're, you're in good hands with him. So we're going to be wrapping up shortly, but I do want to know, Steve, you've ever boxed before? No, I had, um, went until I got picked and started training with Nick in January, I'd never, I don't probably never even put on boxing gloves okay. before. So as you, as you've been going, cause it's been a, a while that you, obviously you've gotten to the halfway point. It's, it's been several months that you've been training. What have you found to be the hardest part of training? And, and also in that the best part of training? Uh, yeah, for me, it was, I mean, just getting in physical condition was so i mean nick even had said to me when i at one point he's like out of everybody i've trained you're in by far the worst shape <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> all right <laughs> yeah he doesn't sugarcoat things yeah Fair enough. no i doesn't i was just gonna say no, he's very I but i appreciate yeah. it at the same yeah. time because then when he let when he slips in something positive i always make sure to make him know it let him know it. it's like you better be careful you're getting a little too confident um but yeah, because I mean, I had played, I mean, I had played uh, football throughout college, but that was, you know, almost 20 years mm -hmm. ago at this point. So, um, 
you know, then you have the kids come along. We got four kids. It's trying to just find the time for yourself to work out is, you know, kind of gets put on the back burner. So whatever. I felt I condition wise fell pretty far behind. So getting to that point, getting back and able to just make it through has been tough, but it's been, but it's been rewarding at the same time. I mean, not now that I'm getting back into it, I love every second of it. And if you could tell, so someone who's listening right now, they're thinking about signing up, they're hearing you, they're listening to your store and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm out of shape or it's been 20 years since I hit the gym or, or just they're listening and they're interested. What would be one thing that you would tell someone who's thinking about signing up? Do it. I couldn't be happier to be involved. I couldn't be more. Now, obviously for me, like we, I mean, like we've been talking about this whole time, I draw my inspiration from Megan, you know? So I just, I, I don't know if I, maybe I find a little different experience than a lot of people that maybe just sign up because they think it's cool. They want to try their hand on boxing, you know, but for me, it's so important the fundraising side of it, just because going back to when we, like we had been talking about, she, we go into these appointments, actually, she had had to go into these, most of the appointments by herself because of COVID, which was hot and made it twice as hard. But just, we'd ask the questions to the doctors like, Hey, what, whatever. And how many times the response was, well, we just don't really know. Mm-hmm. And for someone like me, it was like, you know, you think like, especially with the breast cancer, they have, they have breast cancer month. They do the walks, the Avon walks and everything. And you think if you're not in it, you think from the outside, it looks like there's so much money that's raised, but it's just so much that is still unknown. It blew me away. So I find the experience to be so much more rewarding in that sense that like, I mean, I am, I'm loving the boxing that, like I said, I, I played football. So being at the gym kind of brings me back to that locker room feel that I haven't had in a long time mm-hmm. that I loved. And I love just sitting, like being there and yeah, doing that part of it. But it's just so important. The, the fundraising, the money that's needed for any type of cancer research is so important. There are two um, nonprofits that your fundraising is supporting. Would you mind sharing those with us? Yeah, so I will defer to Megan a little bit to talk more about it because after she was diagnosed, um, I think something that she had become much more, you know, not involved, but, you know, following along social media and stuff. And she became able to recognize the charities that are, that really put their money where their mouth is. So she picked them out. So it's the Breast Cancer Research Fund and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Yeah. So like what Steve said, um, the breast cancer research fund is, you know, I, like I did, I really, I put some thought into it cause I, I follow a lot of, a lot of the nonprofits on social media. And I also follow a lot of support groups also on social media. And the ones that I follow are, you know, women that really have done their research and can see where the money goes and where the best research is. And, the foundations and the funds that do what they say they're, they're doing and that they're not just kind of pink washing and use breast cancer month as like, you know, taking advantage of, you know, the whole 
the month to make money and you're not sure where the money's going. And that fund is actually, it's really legit. It, it, it puts a lot of what they say into the research piece, into the support for the families, which I think is, is really huge. They also do a lot for the survivors and the survivorship program, which I feel like is where I kind of sit, which is strange because you, you know, once you've gone through treatment, it's almost like, all right, there you go. You know, breast cancer is gone and you should be fine, but you don't, you're never fine. You know, you're always, you're always thinking it could come back and I don't feel like I'm ever going to be safe from this. And that's an important piece, you know, having the support and for the survivorship group. So that fund really, I felt like it was, it was important. And I think it's one that really deserves, you know, the money to support it. And then the, the leukemia lymphoma society that is obviously important to me, but then I also have my uncle also has a form of leukemia, Joe Byron's dad. And so um, that is, you know, obviously hits, hits home too, as far as that. And I just, you know, I know a lot of people that have been diagnosed with both. And I feel like that is the, the main, the main foundation to kind of support for those, for those diagnoses. So. Meg, what has it been like knowing that you're, you're the motivation for Steve to get in the ring. Well, how do, how does that feel? Or what, what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, it's been amazing. As When he told me he was signing up, I was like, Oh my gosh, like, wow. First off, like I knew that it was going to be such a commitment to, well, you know, first I was, you know, overtaken by like the fact that he wanted to do it, you know, knowing that he wasn't a boxer and, you know, it was going to, I didn't know if he was going to get picked, but I loved the the thought that he wanted to give it a go, you know, um, and then he wrote his story, which was like emotional in and of itself. And then when he got chosen, it was like, oh my gosh, this is like real, this is going to happen. And then, you know, just seeing like the commitment that he's, he's put into it. He trains with Nick like three times a week or around that, but then just like, you know, he's on the Peloton, he's running, he's doing all these things that he, you know, wasn't doing three months ago. Um, and he's sticking to it and he's really putting so much effort in. And I know that all that stuff is coming from, you know, love for me and like, you know, and, and, you know, I feel like he throughout, you know, when I was going through all the, all the treatment and all the things he felt like he couldn't do anything for me. Like he felt helpless in a sense. And I think this is his way of, of showing that he's helping, you know, that he's doing something. And I think it's important for him and I see it and it means the world to me. And another thing I meant to mention this earlier, as far as the kids, you know, I see them getting excited too. Like they see him doing all of these things for such an important cause and they're getting excited and they keep asking all sorts of questions. They're not happy that they can't, the boys, the 15 and 11 year olds aren't happy that they can't be there, but they're going to try to, I don't know, stream it or I don't know if that's even possible, but, um, Oh, really? Okay. It's good. Possible. Um, but yeah, to see them being like all like hyped up for it too is awesome. So it's like really kind of like a family a family excitement that he's brought to brought to us. So yeah, it's been great. It's been really, I don't know, wonderful. 
to see. If you're interested in donating to Steve, um, you can find his fighter page on haymakersforhope.org. Steve Vaccaro. This was really great. Your story's incredible. Meg, you are you are truly a warrior. So it'll be really great to see you on fight night. Yeah, thank you. And just thank you guys both so much for doing the podcast, for talking to us today, to sharing your story. We just, we very much appreciate it. Thank you. We're really looking forward to fight night. We just appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and share your story because it's really, it's, it's pretty incredible. And yeah, we're just looking forward to it. And and having you as as part of the alumni family post event. Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah. Thank you guys so much for having us. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We're grateful for your support. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow the podcast and tell a friend. To donate, sponsor, attend an event, or better yet, sign up to fight to KO cancer, visit haymakersforhope.org. Not Every Fight Ends at the Bell is presented and produced by Haymakers for Hope in partnership with Studio Pod Media. Our producers are former fighters Jordan McMillan and Julian Lewis. I'm Julie Kelly. And I'm Todd Buster Paris. You've been listening to Not Every Fight Ends at the Bell. Bell.